You are listening to the First Baptist Church Martin podcast. For more information on our church, visit fbcmartin.org. Got your Bible, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew and find chapter 2 this morning? There's so many things about the Christmas story that just should absolutely fascinate us. Things that we should just find amazing, no matter how many times we read the story, no matter how many times the story is told, or even how long we think about and ponder what really took place at Christmas. But we should always be fascinated by the fact that, first of all, God would send His Son into the world to live and dwell among us. That's exactly what happened at Christmas, is that God took on human flesh. The Son of God left heaven, came into this world to live and dwell among us, all for the purpose of saving us and rescuing us from our sins. That God would so love the world, you and I, that He would give His only begotten Son. It's amazing. No matter how long we think about it, we should always be fascinated by that. The other thing I find fascinating is to consider who were the ones who first heard this news and were invited by God to come and to worship at the feet of His Son when He entered into the world. Have you ever thought about that? Shepherds. Shepherds were among the first to hear this good news. And if you know anything about shepherds in that day, you would understand that they were the outcast of their society. They were the dregs of their society. They were not the up and coming. They were the down and outs. And yet an angel, angels were sent to them to announce to them the birth of this Savior in Bethlehem, and they were invited to go and to bow before Him and to worship at His feet. And then you think about these men in Scripture who are very mysterious to most of us. These men from the East who came and traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles to Bethlehem to bow and worship at the feet of this king who had been born in Israel. How did they get there? Why the wise men? To think about it is absolutely fascinating, and it is nothing short of miraculous. And when you think about their story and how these men, along with the others, found themselves in Bethlehem, worshiping at the feet of Christ, it is nothing short of the grace of God that was given to each of them. And I want you to see that grace at work as we look at their story this morning and next week. Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, Matthew tells us about these men from the east. I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of our Lord and the reading of His Word to us today. Matthew 2, verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Now, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least 
among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, you go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Lord, we're thankful for your word today, and I pray that as we, as we look at the story, the incredible story of these men that we've heard about, that we've even sung about at Christmas time, these men from the east who came to worship at the feet of Jesus, I pray, God, that you would open our eyes, that we would see not only your grace at work in their life, bringing them to Christ, but also how the grace of God has worked in our life as well, bringing us to the place where we would bow before the one who is the king above all kings, our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. And we ask this today in his name. Amen. You may be seated. So before we get into their story, really, I think there's some things that we need to understand about these men. Uh, There's some things that we think that we know about them, things that we have heard, things we've been taught, things that we've just kind of picked up on our own as we have uh, sung songs at Christmas and heard tales and stories about the Christmas story. But some of what we know about these men or think that we know about them has not actually come from Scripture. It's come from other places. And so we need to peel away that so we can really understand these men and where they came from. First of all, you need to understand that these men were not kings. Many people believe that they were kings, and one of the reasons why we have come to believe that they were kings is because of a song that we sing at Christmas time. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts, we traverse afar. And so from that song, people have just concluded, well, these men must be kings because that's who it's talking about. But these men were not kings. The Bible never mentions them as being kings. What the Bible says about them is that they were wise men. These were wise men who were likely Parthian or Persian, who probably came from the region somewhere around ancient Babylon. And what we know from Scripture and from history about wise men is that these men were likely high-ranking officials who stood as servants in the king's court. They were advisors to the king. They're referred to as wise men because these men had been trained in various fields of study. They had studied history, they had studied science, they had studied medicine, but they also were men who gave much of their time to astronomy and astrology. These were guys who studied the stars, seeking to find answers about life and about the future. These are also men who dabbled in the occult. Uh, We've come to also know these men as magi. They're often referred to by people as magi. 
And what that word means is they were people who were dealing with magic. They were magicians. And what they would do is they would dabble in the occult, hoping to acquire supernatural powers, powers that were not their own, powers that came from some other supernatural source, so that they could exercise those powers and be able to perform and do magic. And it's for all of these reasons. It's because these men were believed by many to have special powers. It's because they spent so much of their time foreseeing the future or trying to foresee the future by studying the stars that kings would pull these men close to them and they would use them as advisors hoping that they could gain some advantage to their rule by having these wise men surround them. And so that's who they were. They were also uh, probably more than just three of these men who came to worship at the feet of Jesus. Now, the reason why we believe that there are three or we've come to believe that there were three is because of the number of gifts that are presented to Jesus. When they show up and they worship at the feet of Christ, the Bible says that they opened up their treasures, their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So there's three specific gifts that are mentioned there, and because of that, we have just come to believe that there were three wise men. But understand that the Bible doesn't say that these were the only gifts that they brought. They brought. Uh, I probably believe that they brought much more than just three gifts. It may be that they brought gifts of this nature, but there were probably many gifts that were brought and laid at the feet of Christ when these wise men showed up, and there were probably more than just three men who showed up to worship at the feet of Christ. And the reason why we believe that is because they traveled from a great distance to come to Bethlehem to worship at the feet of the Christ, and they likely would not have traveled just in a company of three that many miles. They would have come with an entourage. There's many scholars who believe that there were perhaps 10, maybe 20, perhaps 50 or more of these wise men, and then along with the wise men would come their servants, and then also perhaps a military escort because these were men who served as advisors to the king. And so if they told the king that they were going off on this trip or this mission, the king may have supplied to them a military escort so that they would have some safety and some security as they traveled such a great distance. But there were probably more than just three. The other thing that we need to understand about these men is that they did not show up on the night of Christ's birth. Maybe that's how we've pictured it. That's how we've thought of it as we've read the Christmas story, but that's not the case at all. And the reason we know that is because the Bible does not mention them showing up at a cave or at a manger scene to worship the Christ. Instead, the Bible says that when they got to Bethlehem, they entered into the house where Mary was found with the child. And so obviously by this time, Mary and Joseph and the young child that had just come into this world had moved from that initial birth scene in the manger, and now they were staying in a home in Bethlehem. Now we don't know how much time had passed. Some suggest weeks, perhaps even months. Some have even estimated perhaps a year has passed before the wise men ever arrive. But what's important for us, and the thing that I want us to really focus on this morning is this, not when did they arrive. That's not the real issue here. The real issue is how they arrived. How did they get there? Have you ever thought about that? How these men from the East, these men who came from a pagan world, who were immersed in a pagan culture, who were pagans themselves, 
who had probably not only been surrounded by the worship of other gods, but had participated in the worship of other gods, how is it that they come to worship at the feet of Christ the King, who is above all kings? How did they get there? Their story is nothing short of miraculous. And as you look back over their journey and trace how they probably got there, you can see the grace of God in every bit of it. God revealing himself to these men and drawing them there to the place where they would find the Christ. Now, what did God use in order to do that? How did God work in the life of these wise men to bring them to Bethlehem to worship at the feet of Christ? Well, first of all, I believe he used Scripture. I believe that he used Scripture. We know that in Scripture... Prior to the incarnation, prior to the coming of Christ into the world, there were all of these prophecies given by God through the prophets that announced the coming of this Savior and this King who would one day enter the world. There are over 300 specific prophecies concerning the birth of Christ in the Old Testament, all of them fulfilled perfectly in the coming of Jesus into this world. But how would these wise men know anything about that? Certainly we would understand how the Jews would be familiar with Scripture because the Word had been given to them and to their prophets. And so they would have been familiar with, the, with what the Word of God said. But how did these wise men know anything about the Bible? How did they know anything about Scripture and what Scripture said about this coming King? And I think the answer could be found in the influence of one man who was there in that culture long before Christ ever entered the world. And that man was a man by the name of Daniel. You know anything about Daniel's story? What we know about Daniel is this. Daniel lived during that time when the Jews had been carried away into exile by the Babylonians. It was a part of God's judgment upon the Jews because of their persistent rebellion against God. And so what happened is that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon at the time, came and raided the city of Jerusalem, and he hauled off back to Babylon uh, many of the Jews, and he made them his slaves and his captives. And, and what they would do when they did that is they would find young men out of these captives who they felt like they could take them and mold them and retrain them and then use their intellect and their skills and their abilities to their advantage to serve their purposes. And that's what they intended to do with Daniel and with some of his friends. They took them back to Babylon and they began the work of trying to retrain these men to make them Babylonian. But what they did not understand is that Daniel was a man, even at an early age, who was deeply devoted to God. And he refused to compromise his faith in God. And so no matter how much pressure they put on him, no matter what they threatened to do to him or to his friends, they refused to bow the knee to any other but God alone. And God used that. God blessed that. And what God did with Daniel is he raised him up in that Babylonian culture to be a person of great influence. Instead of the culture changing Daniel, Daniel became a change agent within that culture. And here's how it happened. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. 
A dream that frightens him. He doesn't understand the, the meaning of the dream that he just had, but he wants to know because it was so troubling to him. And so what he did is he called his wise men in and he looked at them and he said, okay, I've had a dream and I don't know what this means, but I'm bothered by this and somebody's going to tell me what this dream means. And so here's the thing, you're going to come up with an answer and you're going to interpret the dream, but you're not going to pull the wool over my eyes. You're not going to pull a fast one on me. So here's what's going to happen. I'm not even going to tell you the dream that I just had. You're going to figure out what I dreamed and then you're going to tell me the meaning of that dream, the interpretation of it. And if you can't do it, you're toast. You're done. Well, the wise men were in a panic. Because they didn't have the ability to be able to know what he had dreamed and to be able to tell him the meaning of that dream. But there was one person who did not panic, and it was Daniel. And Daniel goes to the king and he says, listen, king. He says, I'll, 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 I will tell you, I will give you an answer to the meaning of your dream, but, but you got to give me some time. And so Daniel goes back to his friends and he tells his friends, he says, okay, boys. God has given me a gift, the ability to be able to interpret dreams, but uh, I, we, we're going to have to pray because God has is, is, is put me in a situation here. He's put us in a situation here that unless God shows up, I mean, we're, we're, we're done for. But I believe that God will, and we just need to pray that God would give me an understanding of what this man has dreamed and be able to tell him the meaning of it. And guess what? They began to pray, and God answered. And God gave Daniel the revelation that he needed. And Daniel goes back, and he begins to explain to Nebuchadnezzar the dream that he just had. And what Nebuchadnezzar had envisioned are these different kingdoms that are rising up and they're falling. And then all of a sudden, there's this kingdom that rises up that is stronger than all of the others, more stable than all of the others. And Daniel begins to tell the king, and what you've envisioned here are the rise and the fall of nations and kingdoms throughout the history of the world. But the kingdom that you saw rise up, that is above every other kingdom, is the kingdom of God himself. God has a kingdom that will not end. And God has a king who will reign forever. And the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar was so pleased with what Daniel had told him and the interpretation of his dream that he rewarded him. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, here's what it says. Then the king promoted Daniel and he gave him many great gifts and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. God elevates Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't do this. God elevates Daniel within this culture and he places him as the chief administrator over all of the wise men. Now don't you know that Daniel in that position now is going to begin to, to insert his faith in God, in the conversations that he has with these wise men that are now put in his charge. Now, trying to get them to see what Daniel knows to be true would be no, no small task because these men were deeply pagan and they were deeply Babylonian, but that wouldn't stop Daniel from sharing his faith with them. 
And now he's got their curiosity aroused because they know that Daniel has told the king about this kingdom that is coming, this kingdom of which there will be no end, and this king who is coming to reign over this kingdom. And so they're asking Daniel questions, you could imagine, about this kingdom and this king. And then Daniel begins to share with them prophecies from the Old Testament that speak about a coming Messiah who's going to usher in a new day for the Jews and for the entire world. And as he's telling them about these prophecies that had already been given in Scripture, you know that Daniel probably took them to Numbers chapter 24 and shared with them a prophecy there in the Old Testament about this king who is coming. It's a prophecy that was given by the most unlikely person, a man by the name of Balaam who did not want to bless the people of God. Instead, he was trying to curse the people of God, but every time he opened his mouth to curse the people of God, he would end up blessing the people of God. And in the midst of all of that, he speaks a prophecy. God uses this man to utter some of the most prophetic words about this king, the Savior, who's going to one day come into the world. Numbers 24 and verse 17, here's what Balaam said. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. In other words, I can see him. I can see him in the portal of time, but but not yet. He's not here yet. And and he's coming, but, but his coming is not near yet. In other words, there's still some time that has to elapse before he actually arrives. But he says this, he says, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. A scepter, a king is coming out of Israel. God has promised it. God has foretold this. There's this king who is coming who will reign over the kingdom of God. This scepter that is going to rise. And the sign of his coming will be this star. A star will arise in Jacob. Well, now he's really got these wise men stirred up because they studied the stars. They were all about astronomy. And so now he's piqued their interest, and now they're beginning to study these things. And as they begin to think about these things and what Daniel has shared with them, they surely begin to ask the question, Daniel, when will he come? How will the world know when he gets here? Well, you know, there's there's this prophecy about a star that's going to rise up. But also, during this time, God gives Daniel a prophetic vision of the future. One that I I don't really think that Daniel understood, but it was something that would stir the pot for sure. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, Daniel has been praying, fasting before God, and God speaks to him and reveals to him things about the future. And he says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up a vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until The Messiah, the Prince, comes. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So now he's talked about 70 weeks. And now, now, what does that mean? He's not talking about 70 actual weeks. He's talking about 70 weeks of years. And so it would be 70 times 7, which would be something around 490 years. But he says there's there's going to be seven years and then 62 years. And so that's 69 years. And so you do the math. And you put all that together, and this is, there's this extended period of time. And again, I don't think that Daniel fully understood all of this. 
I don't think the wise men fully understood all of this, even though this was spoken during the days when Daniel was there. But I do believe that it was arousing the curiosity of everyone. What does this mean? And now they've even spoken of a day when the Jews are going to go back. They're in exile right now. They're going to go back and they're going to start rebuilding Jerusalem. And when they go back to rebuild Jerusalem, apparently there's going to be this clock that begins to tick. That's going to be a sign that the, that the coming of this king is getting near. And so they've got all of these things going through their minds. Now understand that these men that Daniel influenced during those days were not here on the earth when Christ actually showed up. But because they had learned these things and had given themselves to study these things, you would have to know that this would be passed on among the wise men in that culture. So there was this myth or this legend this idea out there that there was a king who is coming that is greater than any other king. And this is what we should be looking for when he comes. And so you've got these men who are constantly looking into the stars. Daniel has told them, listen, what you're looking for is not in the stars. It's in the one who hung the stars. It's in the one who created the stars. And soon he is sending his king into the world. And so they began to look into the stars with a whole new purpose, waiting and watching. And as they're doing this, God gives them a sign that the king has actually come. Go back to Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. A star shall arise out of Jacob. Well, one night, these wise men are looking up into the heavens, and there is this star that appears. And I don't know what you envision or what you imagine when you think about that. We've seen movies about the birth of Christ. We've seen drawings and pictures about the birth of Christ and this star that just seems to be a little bit brighter, a little bit bigger than all the rest of the stars hanging out there in the sky as if that was what the Magi were following. I believe it was something more brilliant and more glorious than that. I don't believe that we can even begin to comprehend or fathom what it was they saw there in the heavens, in the stars that night when that light appeared to them and they knew something was happening in the world. It was absolutely something that, they, that had grabbed their attention. It was something more brilliant and more wonderful than anything they'd ever seen before because there was no mistaking it for these men that this is it. This is what we've been waiting on. This is the sign that has been talked about. This star that is now in the heavens, this bright light that has appeared to us. And they begin to follow it. The reason why we know that it's not just some ordinary star is the star begins to move. And it found, they, they, they saw it in the east, but then they find it beginning to move. And it's leading them as if it's leading them toward a place or perhaps a person. And in fact, it is. It's leading them to the Christ. And they're following this star. They get up their entourage and they begin to travel following the star as it leads them to Judea. It leads them to Jerusalem. And they find themselves standing before Herod in Jerusalem asking the question, where is the king? Where is the king that has come into the world? And Herod doesn't have a clue as to what they're talking about. He's clueless but concerned. Which tells us that the wise men could see the star, but apparently nobody else was seeing the star. Even as brilliant and glorious as it was. Now, you know what some people believe the star actually was? The Shekinah glory of God. The glory of God leading these men to the place where they would find His Son. Now, here's why scholars suggest that. At least some. 
This would not be the first time something like this has happened. If you remember the story of Israel, when Israel came out of bondage and they were in the wilderness, the Bible says that in the day, God would lead them by a pillar of cloud, but in the night, God would lead them how? By a pillar of fire. Uh, this brilliant light that was before them that would remind them of the presence of God. And so even in the darkness of night, the glory of God could be seen and the glory of God would guide His people. And so some scholars believe that's exactly what this was. That's exactly what they saw. Is God Himself leading these men to the place where they would find His Son. They're following this star. They get to Jerusalem. Herod doesn't have a clue, but he turns to the men that he supposes would have an answer. He goes to the scribes and the religious leaders, and he calls them to himself, and he says, okay, what is this thing about a king? What is this thing about this, this, this person who's coming into the world that, that you people have been talking about, that your scriptures uh, mention and, and, and have and prophets have prophesied about him? What, what, what is all of this? Well, they knew what he was talking about. In fact, they, they bring up to Herod, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, where the prophet Micah, as he looked down the portal of time and could see the coming of the Messiah, said, you Bethlehem. Oh, you're the smallest of places, the, the littlest of clans. It's out of you that the ruler will rise who will shepherd his people. It's out of Bethlehem that this king will come. But what's interesting is that even though they had the facts and the information, there was nothing about them that got excited about that. They didn't look at Herod and say, why, why are you asking? Hold on, hold on. Why, why are you asking about that? Do you know something? Is something going on? Have you heard? Is somebody telling you that he's here? No, it's just like they dispense the information. They've got it up in their head. They tell him what they know, and then they just go back to what they're doing. They don't seem to be excited or aware at all what's happening in the world. But Herod comes back to these wise men, and he tells them, well, it's in Bethlehem. The Scriptures say that in Bethlehem this man is going to be, this king is going to be born. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Bethlehem. See if you can find the child. If you find him, listen, if you find him, then come back to me and tell me because I want to go and I want to worship him too. Well, he's lying. He didn't care anything about worshiping him. He wants to destroy him because he feels threatened. He's threatened. He's wanting to hold on to his power. And he's afraid that there's a king who is coming that's going to take away his power. And so, so he wants to destroy the king. And these wise men, when they hear that this child is born in Bethlehem, they begin to make their way toward Bethlehem. And here's what the scriptures say. The star, whatever that was in the sky, the glory of God that led them to Jerusalem, once they got to Jerusalem, it seems to have disappeared. That's why they had to go to Herod and say, okay, where is he? But the moment they leave Herod and start toward Bethlehem, the star appears again to them. And that's why it says in the Scripture that when they saw the star appear to them again, they were glad with exceedingly great joy. Now that means more than they were just a little giddy. That means that these men are 
bursting with joy because the star has appeared again. The star that's led them this whole way now has appeared to them again. And this time, the star not only takes them to Bethlehem, when you read the story, it appears as if the star, this glorious light, takes them to the very place where they find Mary and the child. Because even when they get to Bethlehem, where do you start? It doesn't say, well, they went house to house knocking. Is he here? Is he here? It just says they went to the house as if the star took them right to the house. And they find Mary and the child. God led them the whole way. And the Bible says that when they go in and they see the child, they fall on their faces before him and they begin to worship him. Now, here's the question that I have for you this morning. In all of that, when these wise men that we've known about all this time, that we've seen in Christmas plays, that we have in our nativity scenes, that we've seen in movies, even though their part is a relatively small part, when they showed up there in Bethlehem and were worshiping at the feet of Christ, has it ever occurred to you that when they bowed down at the feet of Christ, these men were overcome with amazement and awe, not just that they were there, but thinking about how they got there. We're here, worshiping at the feet of the King above all kings. And the only reason we're here is because of the grace of God. They're not there because of how smart they were, even though we know they were wise men. They were clueless spiritually, ignorant about the things of God. If it had not been for the grace of God, these men would have never found their way to Jesus. And think about them in contrast to the scribes and the religious leaders. They had the Scriptures. They had all the information right in front of them. If anybody should have known and anybody should have been aware that a king was coming and that his coming had, had arrived, it should have been them, but they're totally clueless. They've got all of this information, but it does nothing to them. But these wise men are there by the grace of God. I want you to think about your own story. How do you think you got here? Those of us who are saved this morning, how do you think you got to the feet of the King? How did you come to salvation? How did you come to understand the truth about the Christ? You think you're here because you're smarter than other people? You think you're here just because you've had greater advantages than other people? You think you're here this morning because of the family that you were born into and the way that you were raised? Yeah, all those things can be a plus, but none of those things guarantee that a person is going to come to Christ. The only way people come to Christ is by the grace of God. It's by God making Himself known to us. And when you think about that and you think about your journey, we are a people here this morning who have traveled many different paths to get to Jesus. Some of us have come from afar, just like the wise men. And you look back over your journey and what it is that has led you to the place where you would know the king and be able to worship the king. As you trace your steps 
the pattern and the path of your life, you should be able to see all over it the grace of God. The fact that you would understand His Word, that His Word speaks of only one who can bring us to God, and that is Jesus Christ Himself, the Son of God, who came into this world who lived the life that we could not live, who went to the cross and died for our sins, was buried and then rose again from the dead so that through him we could be forgiven and have everlasting life. There are people in this world who've heard that news and they look at it as foolishness. But for you, it came alive in your heart and you believe the truth in Jesus Christ. And how did that happen? By the grace of God. You think about the people God put in your life. You think about the circumstances of your life. You think about the events of your life. I sat down and had a conversation with a man this week. And we were telling our stories of how we came to Christ, of how Christ drew us to himself. And we both told the story of how God used death in our life in order to bring us to Jesus. We both had lost somebody in our life, very special to us, very close to us. And God used that as the turning point, as the moment when he grabbed our attention and began to turn our hearts toward Christ. God took something that was a tragedy and used it to bring about the greatest thing that has ever happened in my life, and that is experiencing the salvation of Jesus Christ for all eternity. It's all by the grace of God. If you're saved this morning, you've got nothing to boast in but the grace of God that has been shown to you in Jesus Christ. And if you're lost this morning... then surely you could see the grace of God just in you being here today. I don't know why you think you're here. Maybe you think you just got up this morning and decided, I'm going to go to church today. Maybe you're here because somebody invited you to come to church with them today. And you think that's why you've shown up. But I'll tell you, it's bigger than that. You're here today by the grace of God. If you're a lost person, you're here today. So that you could hear the good news of a Savior who has come into the world to rescue you from your sin. A Savior who died on the cross for you. Though He was without sin, He took your sin and my sin and the sin of the world on Himself and died on the cross, the death that we all deserve, and then was raised up from the dead so that by faith in Him we could be forgiven and have everlasting life. As you begin to think about other things in your life. You begin to look about, look at what's been going on in your life. I mean, maybe you're at a, a point where you've just kind of hit bottom. You don't know what to do anymore. You don't know where to turn anymore. And so, so here you are at church today. And by the grace of God, God's coming to you in the midst of your brokenness and revealing Himself to you in order that you might be saved. That's the way it is for all of us. Sometimes people, when they tell their story, tell the story of how they found Jesus. But you never find Jesus. Jesus is the one who really finds us. And God, by His grace, is the one who leads us to the feet of Jesus. And yeah, it may feel a little bit like you have stumbled upon the Christ, but I'll tell you, there is a sovereign God who's been in control of everything from the very beginning, who has led you there and has orchestrated the events of your life to get you to the place where you would recognize His Son as the one true King who came into the world to save you from your sin. It's the grace of God. And so this Christmas... You know what we sing? We sing about coming to the feet of Christ and bowing down and worship. Oh, come, let us adore Him. If you're saved this morning, you should really do that this Christmas. 
you should really think about how it is you came to Christ. Not just how Christ came to you, but how, how God brought you to Christ. Look back over the journey. See the grace of God that's been, that's been present the whole way. And fall at the feet of Christ and worship Him and adore Him and praise God for the grace that you've been given that has saved your soul. And if you're lost this morning, I pray that today you'll see. You'll see the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you're looking for a sign, here's your sign. That Jesus Christ came into the world and lived the life you couldn't live. A perfect life. He went to the cross and he died for your sin. They buried him because he was dead. And he rose again from the dead. And there's a tomb that is empty that screams to a lost world that a Savior has come to rescue us from our sins. And I pray this morning that God, by His grace, will open your eyes, that you will see that that Savior is Jesus Christ, and today you will trust in Him. If you were encouraged by today's sermon, leave us a rating and subscribe to the podcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church Martin, visit fpcmartin.org.